Welcome to Educate to Self-Regulate, a podcast for educational leaders, teachers, and students, where in less than 20 minutes, we unpack educational research to support you and your students to become better learners. Welcome back to the podcast. It is Educate to Self-Regulate with Rory and... Shy. Hello. How are you? How's it going, Shy? I'm good. I'm good. I feel like I always start our podcasts with hello, hello, or something like that. I'm like some really bad advert. But... Well, I've actually noticed in a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, they have their kind of like calling card. They start with the same kind of intro. And I don't know if it's the psychology of familiarity. It makes you feel like you're sort of a community. Maybe we should start doing that. Ah, we're working on it. Have uh... our own little calling card. <laughs> so what's news on your end, Rory? What have you been up to? Very exciting week for me. Well, it hasn't been an exciting week. I've just been catching up on a lot of assessments for school. But this weekend, I have my brother visiting from Sydney. And he's bringing down his son, who's my nephew, who I haven't seen in almost a year, which is terrible. But the way holidays have kind of worked out, I was at home for a while. They were at home for a while. So it's going to be really nice to see the difference in him because he's only one and a half. So the last time I saw him, he was about four or five months old. Oh, wow. And so much changes in that period, that short period. I'm very excited. What about you? Even though it's school holidays here in Canberra and and elsewhere in Australia, uh, there's still a lot going on, a lot lot going on. I have to say, I feel like school leaders take the opportunity to really take the time back, to step back and actually just have strategic conversations. And so I've been going to a lot of coffees and things like that. And the other thing that's been on here in Canberra is the Australian Science Teachers Association National Conference, so CANASTA has been on here since Sunday. I was blessed to be an invited speaker at that. And so I collaborated with lovely Amy Dennis from the Academy of Future Skills here. And we did a workshop yesterday morning. It was called Practical Strategies for Fostering the General Capabilities in Your Science Classroom. And it was a lot of fun. But actually what was really interesting, which might be a really nice segue for our very cool podcast today, was that during the session, I asked, well, we were doing a self-evaluation exercise on how we're progressing with fostering the general capabilities in our classrooms now. And I asked teachers to think about whether or not they, you know, without giving them any formal criteria, whether or not they felt like they were succeeding or failing (laughs) with teaching the general capabilities. And there was an interesting reaction to the word failure from the teachers in the room and I found it fascinating so I wanted to ask you just to kick off our podcast or it was uh, when you hear the word failure what does that mean to you oh I, I suppose failure for me I would say is not achieving a standard that you had initially set for yourself when engaging in a particular type of task if you're being really self-regulated which I'm trying to be is that if you're approaching something there should be an idea of what you want to achieve and if you fall short of that thing whatever it might be a fitness goal a education goal a career goal if you fall short of that then that would be considered failure now I don't know if you can feel it's something that you don't have an intention towards succeeding at and I don't know if all teachers have the goal to deliver all areas of the curriculum really really well I think that that's a very noble goal or quest but do all teachers approach the job in that way I don't know what was the feedback from the question yeah what was interesting was that there was almost a negative response to the word failure 
Okay. And and that was interesting for me. And it was one teacher who particularly sort of vocalized herself, but there were a number of nodding heads in the room around. The comment, you know, very polite, a beautiful group of people nonetheless. The comment was simply, I'm not comfortable with the word failure. I really don't like it being used in educational settings because it's mm-hmm. more about um, progress on a continuum rather than it being about failing or succeeding. And I then had a coffee with a friend who's an educator in the afternoon. And again, I was sharing this story and she too had a very interesting reaction to the word failure when I was telling her this story. Okay. And I thought, why uh, have I missed something? Why do educators have such a negative reaction to the word failure? What is it that we're making it mean? I've been reading some articles and this is going to be the foundation, I think, for our podcast today. Perfect. Some articles around students failing in university and the dropout rates in university. And one of the articles, which was actually conducted in Australian University here in Australia, um, documented how many students were failing subjects. But what they found was actually it was less about failing and it was more about the way students responded to that failure, whether they viewed failure as negative or whether failure was viewed as an important part of the learning process. Uh, and okay. so that determined then whether or not they went on to continue to fail or not. Um, and so, well, you know, there's a range of other things that that were in, was in that article. And again, I'll add that to the podca- podcast notes. But I, it was interesting to think that maybe as educators, we might also have a negative connotation with the word failure. And I don't know if I've rewired it in my brain over many years of thinking about it. Or whether How do you think about failure? Failure is it just a normal part of a learning process. Backstory on me, I failed a unit in my first year of uni. Mm-hmm. That actually shocks me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was a reasonably high-performing student in school across my many, many years at school. And my first year of university, I failed a subject. Now, that was hard in the moment to digest because I had not failed anything in an academic setting. Mm-hmm. The 13 years I'd been in school, and yet there I was being confronted with failing. So it was hard to digest. It was hard to swallow what I think here, and this might be the, the platform for us, is that I could have become very defensive about that and yep. blamed the university and blamed the teachers. And I think probably initially I did. <laughs> and then I realised that it wasn't going to get me very far and that I actually had to try and focus on some other things to try and rework that. And so rather than be defensive about it, I ended up through processing it, adopting a much more adaptive approach to the way that I was responding to it. And so I think it's actually, it's less about failure. It's more about how we respond to it. So what's the meaning that we attach to the word? The story that we tell ourselves about the failure and whether or not that can be self-serving for us moving forward. As we are on this journey of learning that is not confined to that single situation, but as you and I both believe, it is like a lifetime pursuit. Yes, and it's quite normal in life to fail at things. Are we afraid of failure being part of the narrative in education? Like, I think there is a difference between a, a student saying, oh, I failed at this task three times versus I am a failure. Yeah. And, and that is a concern because the latter of those two implies kind of almost a belief about themselves. It's an ability belief. I am a failure. Whereas I have failed three times at this task is is almost an observation of just accurately saying, yeah, this <laughs> I've tried this task three times. I've not been successful. I'm going to try again, but I'm going to change. I'm going to pivot my approach maybe. And so there's a, there's a nuanced difference in that language. And 
one implies a more adaptive approach over the other. And I think that that in its very essence is what self-regulation is. It's about being able to manage all of the thoughts that you have around learning situations and you as a learner and actively choose to adopt a line of thinking that is more self-serving for you in pursuit of the goals that you have or the kind of person that you want to be. 100%. And what we're talking about here, even though I've <laughs> totally got us off script here, Rory, is the attributions. It's it's attribution theories and it's the way we explain success or failure or the way we explain or attribute the causes to that evaluation. Yeah. And attribution theory is something that has been incredibly well researched, I think, since the 1950s. Since it's been studied in different industries uh, across males and females. And in education, like it's been studied in primary school, secondary school, third level education. And essentially what it boils down to is it's a theory that focuses on the ways in which, in our context, learners attribute meaning to their success or their failure. And the reason why it's important to consider in education, I think, is that different types of attributions, so the decisions that you make about whether you failed or not, they have varying impacts on your future motivation, which is what we're focusing on this season, and then potentially the achievement that you have moving forward, which is exactly what you were describing. So this theory is really relevant to that discussion of success and failure. So if you think about it, you gave your example of failing in a subject at uni, there's a variety of different causal attributions that you can make in that situation. So it could be ability-based, like I'm not good enough. Like the reason why I feel is something inherently fixed. It could be effort-based. So you could, you could understand that you didn't really try as hard. And there's a variety of ways that you can exert more effort. It could be, you could make a causal attribution in relation to luck. I, I didn't study that hard, but I got lucky with all the questions that came up. So it's all good. Or that the task was too difficult. I still worked hard, but the questions that came up were really difficult because the teacher or the professor is not such a nice guy and doesn't want us to pass. You know, there's all these different causal attributions that can be made by a learner. And the theory, the attribution theories, it stipulates that each of those attributions, like I gave a few examples, they can be considered based on these three different dimensions. So every different attribution that I just talked about, they have different dimensions to them. So if we take, for example, the three different dimensions are locus, which is, is it internal or external? Is it stability? So is the causal attribution something that is stable over time or something that is unstable? And then the third dimension is control. So is the causal attribution something that you as a learner have control over or is it something that you do not have control over? And so I can give a few examples for context. It helps you understand why it's so important. If a student makes an attribution that a disappointing result they received was due to like a lack of effort, okay, that's considered internal, something within the student, something unstable, which you can change and controllable. It's within a person's control to change how much effort they exert. And those three dimensions are actually ideal 
for future motivation and engagement and maybe even academic success because they are kind of optimum in order to be able to, to springboard off, if that makes sense. And so, then... Sorry, can, I, can I ask then, Rory? So just to clarify then, so what we're talking about here is that when we engage in any form of kind of evaluation of our progress, yep. we then make a decision about whether or not we deem that to be failure or success, yep. progress or no progress, based on our own goals or a set of criteria or something along those lines. And then what we do is we make this attribution, we explain the progress and no progress in some way, shape, and form. And so you mentioned luck. Yep. Uh, like you mentioned three dimensions, right? So where would luck sit on those three dimensions? So luck is external. You don't have any control over the luck. Uh, it would be unstable. Sometimes you have luck, sometimes you don't. And it would be totally uncontrollable. Yeah, so so if a student's explaining their, let's say, their success to luck, Mm-hmm. Is that considered like a useful attribution? It's not considered useful because there is a real lack of control over each of those different elements or across those dimensions. And therefore, whether or not you take positive action or not afterwards, if you attribute your success or your failure to luck, there's not really much impact you can have moving forward. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that's consistent with my understanding is that we really... Well, I know we were going to talk about this anyway, but in terms of our role as teachers, it seems pretty important then that we're helping our students rewire these attributions. And that's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit. Is it the teacher's job to support students to manage those or to to essentially engage or try to engage in more self-serving attributions after a failure if in fact they do experience one i think that some people might do this naturally like it might be a natural thing to do as a teacher to sit a student down ask them a few questions try to help them see how maybe their previous behaviors leading up to the exam or the assessment task or whatever it might be in order to gather some information and then set some intentions moving forward. But I also think that there may be students who receive, whether a poor mark or a disappointing report or even just some negative feedback, or and then don't get any support in how to make the attribution or manage that thought process. And if they're left to their own devices, they could make one that is not really helpful for them for their learning moving forward or not self-serving and then that could lead to a spiral of lower motivation potentially lower achievement in that subject or topic or whatever it might be and so therefore surely it is our job as teachers to help with that so i think this question that you've posed in terms of do we have a role in, in helping our students generate these attributions or work rework these attributions. I think that deserves more time, Rory. And I, you know, I'm looking at our stopwatch here and thinking we're running out of time quickly. So I think let's carry that over to the second, the next po- podcast and we'll do like a part two. Great idea. Great idea. Because there's probably lots of different ways that it could be done depending on whether you're in a primary school, whether you're in a secondary setting or even a tertiary setting, because it would look quite different. 
Well, let's hit pause on that question. We'll carry that over to the next one. Let's do the famous on the reg. Rory, in the space of attribution theory, what's happening for you? I'm not sure if this is entirely connected, but just as we were speaking there, I had something different that I was going to talk about for on the reg. But as we were speaking, I think about what I do regularly and a lot of what I do, I listen to podcasts of inspirational people. I try to read, you know, books that are around sort of self-help and leading a better life and things like that. And one person that I have listened to in the past across a variety of different platforms is a guy called Jocko Willick. Do you know who Jocko Willick is? I don't, but you mentioned him before. So he's the, he's this ex-Navy SEAL, like a really high achieving leader within the US Army. And he talks a lot about extreme ownership and whenever i was thinking about extreme ownership i was actually thinking about attribution theory so his idea is that no matter what you should be trying to adopt a perspective that you have control over everything in your life and if learners can you know adopt a position of extreme ownership then i think potentially they may have greater opportunity for more self-serving attributions even if something isn't within their control trying to think about a way in which it could be under their control allows them to have influence on it and that's basically Jocko's philosophy here so anybody wants to check it out I think there's a TED talk around extreme ownership on YouTube Right, I'm going to hit you up for that link or at least search for it. Very cool. Speaking of TED Talks and my space of attributions, I was at a TED Talk, TEDx Canberra workshop, speaker workshop on the weekend in preparation for October the 16th, guys, shameless plug. And the speakers in the room, we had to do a little three-minute intro spiel just to practice some of the techniques they were teaching us. And, you know, people got up and they were fantastic. They were brilliant. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm totally not prepared for this. And I got up and I did a pretty disheveled job of what I was trying to say. And I remember sitting down and thinking, man, that, for sake of a better word, I didn't do so well. And maybe I failed, you know, definitely not at the level that I like to perform at. And so definitely didn't succeed in that moment. And funnily enough, upon reflection, I was like, okay, well, why haven't I? And it was as simple as I'm still reworking some of my ideas. I'm still working on the preparation. I'm putting in the hours. So it's not about effort. Yeah. Uh, it's not about strategy. I'm just not there yet. And so it was just about accepting the fact that I'm at a different point in my journey to the other speakers that are where they're at. And so is it controllable? Yeah, absolutely. My preparation effort, I'll continue to control that. Is it internal, external? It's an internal. It's my own kind of point in the journey. And I guess in terms of stability, stable, unstable, probably unstable, right? Because it's something that I can change in terms of preparation and effort. So the realization for me was simply that maybe I just need to change, perhaps even increase the hours and the time and just see if I can get some better results. And that's actually perfect in order to help you manage the emotions in that situation. Because for someone who can't maybe draw upon attribution theory and think their way through that, that could actually be a very overwhelming experience right before you're about to do probably the biggest public talk of your entire life. And for me, I've always found that there is that initial response and then there's the self-talk because of my knowledge of attribution theory. I think about what I'm making the result mean. I reframe it. 
and in highly self-regulated shy yeah <laughs> you know you just uh, you take extreme ownership in some way shape yeah. or form yeah. that you can progress forward in a positive way what a way to end this podcast we're going to continue this part two on the next episode so keep your eyes peeled Thanks, everybody. If you are a new listener to the podcast, make sure you share it with friends, save it, or subscribe. And if you have any questions, and we really want to hear from our listeners, if you have any questions or comments, send us a DM through either of our social media channels, which is Twitter and Instagram, at ed to self As always, to you and everyone else out there, keep regulating.